0: Welcome to episode 36 of Have a Blessed Gay, your spiritual comedy podcast. I'm your holy host, Tyler Martin. Let me begin by saying, if you haven't watched Little Nos X's new music video, what are you doing? He gives Satan a lap dance. That is the epitome of gay rights. But for real, it's super good, and in the words of Molly Shannon, I love it, I love it, I love it. Now to the business of this episode. Let me put on my sparkly bow tie. The statement from the Vatican regarding LGBTQ peeps on March 15th really ruffled my damn feathers. As I'm sure you noticed from last episode, the Vatican. Yeah, more like the Vatican can't get it together, am I right? And it's interesting because I have learned over the last few times the Pope and the Vatican have mentioned something regarding homosexuality or marriage equality that it seems people are quite confused about the Catholic Church's stance regarding homosexuality. And just a little confusion surrounding Catholicism in general, actually. <laughs> but it makes sense because the Catholic Church is complicated with years of extremely complex history. And regarding homosexuality, well, they seem like they're kind of confused on their stance regarding it and marriage equality. So, of course, other people are confused. Their statements are filled with hypocrisy and straight-up contradictions, so I think it would be good to clear some shit up. I am taking a deep dive into the history of the Catholic Church and its relationship with homosexuality. Or same-sex attraction, as they have not so lovingly called it. Because there is so much information and the history is quite intricate, I have decided to do something I haven't done yet. This shall be a two-part episode. I've already greatly condensed the history, but in order for it to fit in one episode, it would be hella long, or I would have to overly simplify to make it shorter, which, I don't want to do, because there are too many valuable points to consider. Christianity, and specifically the Catholic Church, has wildly influenced today's culture and society. In fact, get this, the Catholic Church is the world's oldest and largest continuously functioning international institution. So, even if you feel like you have no part in it, simply living today means We kind of do, and in order to combat the things we don't like or that are unjust, we gotta know the history and how we might be indirectly or directly supporting an abusive system. I know some people get confused and use the words Christian and Catholic interchangeably, and that sometimes can work, but not always. Just to clarify, Catholicism is a denomination of Christianity, a sect, So, all Catholics are Christian, yes, but not all Christians are Catholic. This subject matter actually comes at a great time too, because it perfectly flows from my last solo episode where we looked at who exactly started Christianity. Continuing from the beginning of the church to help us have a better understanding, in this first part, we're going to look at the Catholic Church's history with society, government, marriage, and sexual morality. But before we jump in, please make sure you are subscribed and following the podcast. And if you would like to support the show, leaving a quick review is very helpful. And more than that, simply share the podcast on social media or with people in your life that you feel would enjoy it and take something positive from it. I'm a one-man band, so I'll gladly welcome all the support. This community that has grown and continues to grow around the podcast is just incredible. This is a community of people not afraid to ask questions, daring to challenge injustice, and trying to make the world a less shitty place. Now let's do just that right now. Come on, y'all, and let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy, and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at Better help.com slash bless gay to check it out and get what 10% off the best part is you don't even have to leave your house they offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor video calls phone calls real-time chat and direct messaging all counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes, they're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at BetterHelp.com slash Blessed Gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy! It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash blessedgay. The majority of the research for this episode comes from John Boswell's book Christianity, Social Tolerance, and Homosexuality, The Washington Post, an article by Beth Daly, The World Encyclopedia, and of course, Wikipedia baby! So we have it fresh on the mind. Let's hear again the reason for this episode, okay? The Vatican released an official statement March 15th regarding same-sex unions, It's important to note that this decree was approved by Pope Francis. For people not familiar with the elaborate hierarchy of the Catholic Church, a simple way to understand the concept of the Vatican and the Pope is to relate the Vatican to the White House and the Pope to the President. Obviously, it's not exactly the same, but it gives you an idea. So the decree was approved by Pope Francis but it was an official decree from the Vatican itself, not some personal statement or letter from the Pope, something I have seen many people misunderstand. And the difference, I think, is kind of crucial. It has been under debate for many years now if the Catholic Church would begin to acknowledge civil unions or marriages for the LGBTQ plus community. Within the decree, they made their stance rather clear they said they will not bless same-sex unions, stating the blessing of homosexual unions cannot be considered licit. Licit meaning lawful, legitimate, or legal. So they're saying they don't care if your government finds it binding. In the eyes of the church, they don't give a fuck. They stated that God does not and cannot bless sin, referring to all LGBTQ relationships as a sin. Now, this shocked a few people, me not included, but the reason, which I briefly touched on last episode, stems from personal statements made by Pope Francis, otherwise known as Pope Francine in the Drag Clubs. Remember to tip the ladies! He very recently spoke somewhat positively about the LGBTQ plus community, So knowing that he approved this message condemning the LGBTQ community just a handful of months after that statement seems like a severe switcheroo in theology. In October of 2020, he was quoted saying that homosexual people have the right to be in a family. They are children of God. You can't kick someone out of a family, nor make their life miserable for this. What we have to have is a civil union law. That way, they are legally covered. Well, obviously this completely contradicts the decree released this March. But again, it's crucial to know that this was a personal statement versus a statement directly from the Vatican as an institution. No matter, this kind of contradiction has been an ongoing thing with Miss Pope Francine. Before he became the Pope, he was serving as Archbishop of Buenos Aires, Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio was serving during a time Argentina already permitted civil unions and was debating a bill to legalize same-sex marriage and the ability for LGBTQ individuals to adopt children. At the time, he was extremely against the bill, aka against marriage equality. On June 22nd, 2010, in a letter to the Carmelite nuns of Buenos Aires, when referring to marriage equality, he wrote, What is at stake here is the identity and survival of the family. Here also is the envy of the devil by which sin entered into the world, which cunningly seeks to destroy the image of God. In that same letter, he goes on to say that this is not a simple political struggle, but a destructive attempt toward God's plan, a movement of the father of lies. Quite intense propaganda, Mr. Pope, to be. Finally, he closed the letter asking the nuns for prayer because, well, you know, they do a best. He wanted them to pray so that senators voting for the bill would not be, quote-unquote, moved by error or by situations of opportunity, but according to the natural law and the law that God points out to them. I always get tingles down my spine when I see someone use the term natural law. It just sounds bad, doesn't it? Like, does any good person use the term in a good way? Uh, doubt it. But here's a guy who really fits a profile from my episode 17. All are welcome, not really. Pope Francis has repeatedly spoken about the need for the church to welcome all people, regardless of their sexual orientation, while also simultaneously 100% believing that homosexuality is a sin and those participating will burn in hell. So he's saying everyone is welcome, but not equal. Speaking about gay people in 2013, he said that the key is for the church to welcome, not exclude, and show mercy, not condemnation, gay, mercy for sinners. In July of 2013, he also said, If someone is gay and is searching for the Lord and has good will, then who am I to judge him? The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains this in a beautiful way, saying, No one should marginalize these people for this. They must be integrated into society. (laughs) It's laughable because of the absurdity. Oh yeah, Pope Francis? Interesting, because it seems like in that decree stating that LGBTQ plus relationships are unlawful and sinful that you just approved, it definitely feels like you are an active participant in the marginalization of the LGBTQ plus community. So, um, which one is it, good sir? Pick a side, shall we? In October 2016, Pope Francis said that when a person arrives before Jesus, Jesus certainly will not say, go away because you are homosexual. So yeah, all are welcome. Just know that um, you're gross, you're a sinner, and definitely less worthy of God's love. But you're still welcome, still welcome, make no mistake, even though you're complete trash, you're welcome. (laughs) Now please come on in. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I want to come in, and actually, if I'm being honest, I know you keep saying the words, I'm welcome, but I don't feel all that welcome. Now, I think the Pope's true feelings are best realized from when he spoke in 2019. When speaking with a journalist about homosexuality, he said, tendencies are not sin. If you have a tendency to anger, it's not a sin. Now, if you are angry and hurt people, the sin is there. So he's going along with a good old love the sinner, hate the sin bullshit. And when you realize that, All his remarks make a lot more sense. He has never meant to actually include the LGBTQ community. He is not welcoming the community as they are, saying that they are equals and as worthy as a straight person. No, 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 no. So for those curious, for the Vatican and for Pope Francis, it's a hard no. For now, anyway. But that's just one man in a white dress. To know where he's coming from, we gotta look at Catholicism. What's super fascinating is that the war on homosexuality is actually a fairly recent thing. And marriage equality, well, that's super duper recent. As I quoted him a few minutes ago, Pope Francis is concerned that marriage equality will diminish the value of marriage, the value of family. So in order for us to understand why he and so many feel that way, we gotta look at the church's history with marriage. The First Council of Nicaea in 325 is accredited for laying the foundation of Orthodox Catholic theology. In episode 34, I talked about how Christianity began, and it's helpful to remember that it was extremely politically driven. They created a strange mix of theology that is majorly politically motivated. Some that directly stem from Judaism, and also that directly opposed Judaism in order to gain power over it. Marriage was considered a necessary passage into adulthood and strongly supported within the Jewish faith. But at the time, some in the emerging Christian communities began to prize the celibate state higher than marriage, using Jesus as their model and guide. Even though, We have absolutely no knowledge of the status of Jesus' virginity. They didn't know if he was a virgin or not. What lame asshole came up with that made-up bullshit, huh? Well, someone who helped spread the idea of celibacy is the Apostle Paul. His letter suggested a preference for celibacy, but recognized that not all Christians necessarily had the ability to live such a life. I find 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 7 through 11 actually pretty comical cuz he's just so damn arrogant. It reads, "I wish that all of you were as I am." <laughs> what a statement, am I right? Okay, 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 okay. He goes on to say, But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, and then in parentheses it says, not I, but the Lord. (laughs) I mean this guy. Okay, Uh, he says a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. These scriptures and from other similar teachings suggested that marriage be used only as a last resort by those Christians who found it too difficult to exercise a level of self-control and remain pure. Really, the beginning of purity culture and the competition for most holy. And the ranking system
1: makes no fucking sense. Oh, welcome to show where we rank your holiness our ranking system goes a little like this a for angel b for beloved c for good old standard christian d for dishonorable e for evil and f for fallen angel contestant number one ted mcmichael's age 54 married with three kids loves the band u2 has only cheated on his wife five times and doesn't believe racism truly exists in america that's a holy score of a plus way to go ted Next up, contestant number two, Jennifer Boswald, age 32, a virgin, an unmarried nun whose favorite hobbies include chewing gum and prayer. That's a holy score of B minus. She'd be an A if only she weren't a woman. And last But not least, Amanda Nielsen, age 81, has been with her wife for 64 years, she volunteers each day at an orphanage, and just last Saturday saved a kitten from a burning tree. That's a holy score of... A BIG FAT F! (laughs) None of your good deeds matter, silly Amanda. You're a lesbian! Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and make sure to join us next time to see Are You Holier Than Thou? As
0: the church developed as an institution and came into contact with the Greek world, it reinforced the idea found in writers such as Plato and Aristotle that the celibate unmarried state was preferable and more holy than the married one. It challenged some of the prevalent social norms such as the buying and selling of women into marriage and defended the right of women to choose to remain unmarried virgins for the sake of Jesus Christ. And, I mean, if I were a woman at that time, I might also be like, uh, yeah, I don't want to marry Uncle Stan, I think I'll take virginity, please. I mean, (laughs) there's a ton of stories associated with the many virgin martyrs in the first few centuries of the Catholic Church, which makes sense, because it was one of the few ways women could be seen as holy, making virginity even more desirable. Because of this major push from the Christian church and government, let us not forget, most believers started equating marriage to giving into sin. Augustine of Hippo, also known as Saint Augustine, was a theologian, philosopher, and the bishop of Hippo Regius in Numidia, Roman North Africa. His writings influenced the development of Western philosophy and Western Christianity and he is viewed as one of the most important church followers of the Latin Church in the Patristic period. He was most influential in developing a theology of the sacramentality of Christian marriage. He taught that marriage is not evil, but good, even if it is not at the same level of holiness as choosing virginity. He wrote, I know what people are murmuring, Suppose they remark that everyone sought to abstain from all intercourse. How would the human race survive? I only wish that this was everyone's concern, so long as it was uttered in charity from a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. Then the city of God would be filled much more speedily, and the end of the world would be hastened. I don't know, y'all. That bitch sounds wild. For those not holy enough to be virgins, he was the first to distinguish three values in marriage. You know, most religions love the number three. Number one, fidelity. Number two, offspring. Specifically, the ability to raise children in the Christian faith from infancy. An easy and sure way to grow numbers. And third, sacrament. The medieval Christian church, taking the lead of Augustine, developed the sacramental understanding of matrimony. However, even at that stage, the Catholic church did not consider the sacraments equal in importance. A sacrament, for those who aren't familiar, sacraments are signs of grace, an event that is spiritual and physical, or something deemed holy within the Catholic church. The Roman Catholic theology enumerates seven sacraments. Baptism, Confirmation, Eucharist, Penance, Matrimony, Holy Orders, and Atoning of the Sick. With the development of sacramental theology, marriage was included in the select seven, Explicit classification of marriage in this way came in reaction to the contrary teaching of Catharism at the time, a sect of Christianity that majorly branched out away from Catholicism. Within the sect, they believed that marriage and procreation were evil. The Cathars are so interesting. They flourished in the 12th century CE and challenged the authority of the Catholic Church. Cathar priests lived simply, had no possessions, imposed no taxes or penalties, and regarded men and women as equals. These aspects of the faith appealed to many at the time disillusioned with the Catholic Church. Cathars believed that the Catholic Church had become corrupt and more about government than anything else. Which, um, they weren't exactly wrong. Now, where they might have gone a little far was in their theology. Cathars believed that Satan had tricked a number of angels into falling from heaven and then encased them in human bodies. The purpose of life was then to renounce the pleasures and enticements of the world and through repeated incarnations make one's way back to heaven. Cathars rejected the teachings of the Catholic Church as immoral and most of the books of the Bible as inspired by Satan. They criticized the Church heavily for the hypocrisy, greed, and lechery of its clergy and the Church's acquisition of land and wealth. Not surprisingly, but sadly, the Cathars were condemned as heretical by the Catholic Church and massacred in the Albigensian Crusade between 1209 and 1229 CE, which also, by the way, devastated the towns, cities, and culture of southern France. So, yeah. The Crusades are truly horrific, but something that came from them was the first official declaration that marriage was considered a sacrament. It was made at the 1184 Council of Verona as part of the Condemnation of the Cathars. And it was a good move for the church. People were thrilled. It made more economical sense, and they started to see how marriage actually could grow their numbers. So then, it even got more specific. Because Catholics were so number-hungry, in 1254, Catholics pushed the idea that married persons sin mortally if they come together without the hope of offspring, making offspring a priority of a Catholic married couple. The church is and was a business, a political movement, a cult, and organizations like that need to think like a business. It's the same proven format as any MLM. They wanted it as incestual as possible. From an early stage, church councils forbade Catholic Christians to marry heretics, Unlike marriage with a non-Christian, which came to be considered completely and utterly invalid, at least marriage with a heretic was seen as valid, though illicit unless a dispensation had been obtained. The idea was to get as many converts as possible. Again, at the time, the church and the government were extremely intertwined and had a shit-ton of say. Oh, you want to marry each other, okay, well, it's simple, all you gotta do is get baptized. So, not only did you have a government pressuring people to join the church, you had families who were financially invested in you joining the church in order for your marriage to happen, making people feel beyond obligated. And it's important to keep in mind that the church has always been a hierarchical system, It was easier for people to be single and a virgin who had money or were supported by the church in some way. However, for poorer people, they relied on marriage for money and social status. So as far as a business plan goes, it was super solid. And it worked. (laughs) Now today, we think of marriage as generally romantic, but that's really a modern concept. At the time, it was not typically romantic. The ideal of love as a primary reason for marriage began to spread in the late 18th century and early 19th century, partly due to the French and American revolutions. Enlightenment thinkers in this era were promoting the right to personal happiness, And instead of completely changing the marriage structure, which would have probably been the best, they just tried to elevate it and decorate it a little differently. Reminds me so much of what we do today with our current problematic structures. We're creatures of habit, afraid of change, even if that change might help us. Instead of creating new systems, we just try to fix damaged ones, Ones that were built on racism, on misogyny, on hate. It really makes no sense. But when it shifted from arrangements to individuals getting to decide, it paved the way for individuals to make a huge leap in society. They didn't have to fully rely on their family status. And eventually, the development of a wage-labor economy moved coupling further away from economics. Women didn't have to depend on their parents' ability to put up a dowry, and men didn't have to wait for their inheritance. Families moved away from farms into urban settings, so they didn't need so many children. More options started opening up. But we still see the effects of the economic foundation on which marriage was founded today. The 1950s weren't that long ago, where women were expected to stay at home, and that was a part of the marriage arrangement. Currently, women are often still paid less than men. So we are still, in this day and age, fighting against a system we simultaneously will not let go of. Again, it just, it, ooh, it makes no damn sense. When we think of modern religious marriages, specifically Catholic, Typically, they revolve around tradition, like the tradition of getting married in a church or with a priest, but that actually hasn't always been a thing. For much of the history of the Catholic Church, no specific ritual was prescribed for celebrating a marriage, at least not until the late medieval period. Marriage vows did not have to be exchanged in a church, nor was a priest's presence required. A couple could exchange consent anywhere any time. Matrimony, for most of the church's history actually, has been celebrated without clergy and was just done according to local customs. The first available written detailed account of a Christian wedding in the West dates only from the 9th century and appears to be pretty identical to the old nuptial service of ancient Rome. When I was researching marriage, I kind of went down a rabbit hole looking at polygamy. It's really fascinating to consider polygamy, which is mentioned in the Bible several times. To all those die-hard, word-for-word Christians out there who like to take the word out of context and without education, well, if polygamy is in the Bible, and even celebrated, then shouldn't it be a-okay in our current world? Mm, Some food for thought. You can't just pick and choose. Knowing that marriage is a construct that grew from political and religious power-hungry people, grew from economics, grew from a misogynistic system that puts men above women, cultivating a toxic and harmful purity culture, not to mention with an extremely racist past, it kind of makes sense why same-sex marriage is so scary to the church. When people in the LGBTQ plus community marry, it is typically purely for love and pleasure. It's not necessarily for reproduction. It's not necessarily to aid an organization, not necessarily to be devout to a church. So in the eyes of the Catholic Church, it doesn't really benefit them. this history allows us to see where they're coming from. Now that's the marriage aspect of this puzzle, but how has the relationship been between the Catholic Church and homosexuality? Well, next time I will dive into the rich history of homosexuality and the church, the societies in which inform the church and the struggles of clergy, and the rampant child abuse that has taken place. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate and leave a review. And please, as always, reach out to me. I love hearing from you. You can reach me via the email in the show notes or on social media at Gay. I know this can be heavy for people. So if you're struggling or having a hard time, please remember I always post helplines in the show notes. So check them out if you need to. Just know that the Vatican cannot speak for God. The Pope cannot speak for God, or the universe, mother nature, whatever you believe in. Being LGBTQ does not make anyone a sin or lesser than. It just doesn't. Now keep your head up high and hear these words. You are special. You are purposeful. And you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.